Hello and welcome to the See For Yourself podcast, the podcast of uh, wild speculation and movie uh, dissection. I am your host, Ruzel Doozle, and I am joined today by Brian Fletcher. That's how you do an intro right there. Oh yeah, that, that nice thick, uh, what, what is it, a baritone? I don't know, I, I have no ear for this stuff. Uh, yeah, I think we're... I think we're both kind of baritone. Yeah, we can both. We're bare bros, you know? Yeah. Today we are going to be uh, discussing the film, I believe it's called The Black Phone. Yeah, The Black Phone. The Black Phone. And uh, I'll just go ahead and read off the uh, blurb for it so we have an idea of what we're going into here. A 13-year-old boy who's being held in a soundproof basement by a masked killer. When a disconnected phone on the wall starts to ring, he soon discovers that he can... Uh, hear the voices of the murderer's previous victims. And that's about all we get out of the blurb. So uh, just before we get into that, I do want to say that here at uh, See For Yourself, we do try to typically limit ourselves to movies that are easily accessible for people, things that you can get a hold of pretty easily, either through st- streaming services, typically the free ones we, we try to aim towards. And uh, this movie will be in theaters as we're watching it specifically. This is the opening night. Yeah. The- in theaters. Yeah, we will be seeing this tonight on opening night. This is a golden episode. Both of us are completely ignorant. We have not seen it. I, I specifically, uh, the blurb is all the information I have going into this. I watched the trailer for it at another movie like a month ago. And I saw it and I thought, hey, that seems pretty cool. And so and so here we are. That's, that's how we've come to this. And uh, I'm always ready to talk about a movie, but I do, uh, I, I, we've never said this on the podcast before. Uh, I, I do prefer to try to keep this as free for people as possible, or yeah. at least you know readily accessible on like Netflix or the, something. The like good that. news is is that like probably by the time anyone's actually listening to this, uh, horror movies move from theater to like streaming services quick. Yeah. So they'll probably it'll probably be available on something. I'm not sure what. Yeah. So by the time you're hearing us, I'm sure it'll be readily available. But uh, I just wanted to make that something clear. We don't talk about like what the practice here is at uh, See for Yourself. Like what's the method that we go by. But uh, uh, sometimes I feel like it it should be stated that that is something I try to be cognizant of. My first thoughts after hearing the blurb immediately is this is a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> like, that is if if the Mission Impossible the do 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 if that doesn't play at some point. I'm going to be severely disappointed. I, I'll be honest. I have no idea how they made so many Mission Impossibles. Because, like, the first one, I think, is made in 96 or 98. It's, it's old, yeah. Yeah. So that's, like, as almost either as old or almost as old as I am. Meaning that fucking Tom Cruise has been doing Mission Impossibles for 26, 27 years. And, like, coming up with and performing all of these stunts, too. Like, you would think one of them would be enough to, like, break any normal man, and Tom Cruise is just... Tom Cruise is, uh, he does his own stunts, you know. He he hangs on to the outside of airplanes. Yeah. He's just... He, I, I, I genuinely think that he's propelling the planes himself with his will to move forward. Um, there are six Mission Impossible movies, yeah. and... I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to predict that there'll this be a seventh. This is the seventh one. <laughs> right here. I genuinely... I'm, so, I, I also want to predict, and I, I don't think this is how it's going to go out because I know the trends of like modern horror films, but I'm yeah. hoping, I'm, I can be hopeful, I'm hoping that it will open up on like kind of lighthearted, even though it's like sad circumstances. I, I absolutely think it's going to be uh, open up lighthearted. Because so... I did watch the the original trailer for it, and I've got a little bit of knowledge that way. And but it's been a while, so I don't really remember it. But if I remember correctly, there's like this supernatural aspect to it from the phone thing. Like yeah, from, yeah, from the phone thing, he's talking to the dead victims, but also to the killer himself. There seems to be some sort of supernatural aspect to him. Sure, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But well, how would you guess? Take a guess. I I mean I I feel like he's He's going to be like some sort of like, who was the fucking turn twine into gold type dude? Oh, uh, Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be something like that. Something like Rumpelstiltskin? Yeah. Okay. Even though it's uh, Ethan Hawke, and Ethan Hawke is obviously not a disfigured little dude. Well, I don't know. He's he's played some pretty like interesting characters in the past. I'm... I'm I'm very trusting of him as a... Uh, he's, a he's a good actor. I think uh, I've seen him play in some like, villainous roles before, so I, I know he can do did it. You, did you catch him in Moon Knight? 
Moon Knight? Yeah, yeah. He was really good in that, I thought. I haven't finished Moon Knight. I, I watched about half of it, and then uh, I caught up to it. And then, like, it's finished yeah. since, but I haven't went back and revisited it. Even in the, in his first few scenes, he's great. Like, Yeah, um, yeah, I remember. Because the first episode where he's uh, in the, I, I don't know where it is, like Swiss Alps or something. I don't know where exactly. Actually, I think it might be in Italy. I, I don't, they don't make it very clear, and I'm not great with geography stuff. I couldn't do that that game where people, what is it, GeoGuessr? Yeah. Where they give you, like, a picture, and you're supposed to guess where on the planet it is. I couldn't do that, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't know very well. But um, yeah, I, I, I trust in Ethan Hawke's acting ability and his ability to like transform into something more gr- grotesque, more more horrifying. Um, yeah, I mean he he's a good uh, he's a good bet, safe bet. My my biggest fear for this though is that it's going to be like. Uh, did you ever watch those uh, How I Died type movies? Like, uh, where like essentially what you're watching is the uh, the ghost trying to like you know give hints on how they died or like solve their own murder or whatever there's some pretty heinous films for that uh as far as like um, i'm afraid it's gonna be another one of those yeah i'm not i'm not a great big fan of that like uh i guess plot device yeah this is how you would describe it i i don't think i've seen it uh done very well other than maybe like there's one and i think it was starring chloe moret that i I thought that one was pretty good but i don't remember the name of it so let's (laughs) let's see if we can Google Chloe Moretz. But, uh, you know, that's that's just something I think that doesn't get handled well. And I think it's just also kind of a cliche after uh, so many attempts. If I stay? If I stay, yeah. But that also, she wasn't trying to say solve her murder. She was just like, I think, coming to terms with her death. No, she, she was a coma victim. That's what it was. Dude, it's been so long since I watched that movie. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm very. I don't think it was a horror movie. Now that I think about it, yeah, I think it was a chick flick. I'm like very fifty fifty. That's the reason. That's the reason I don't like those types of movies because they're oftentimes used to like uh, what's the word? Pull at your heartstrings instead yeah. of like. Well, no, that's I think the reason I liked that movie because it just leaned into that. You know, mm-hmm. like it was doing what it was obviously trying to do, and I was like, okay, that's pretty good. What is the <laughs> the one that I remember the most? And this one doesn't. It doesn't exactly do this. It's more of like a uh, what's it called? Like the Scrooge McDuck kind of, or not Scrooge McDuck, uh, the Scrooge sort of story where he, yeah. he gets taken. You know, if you were never alive, this is how the world would be, so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. It's, it's a, a Wonderful Life kind of does this, where the guy's thinking about killing himself, and he gets, like, taken through all of these uh, different versions of how the world would work without him and so on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's basically what you're describing here, but sort of in, like, reverse order almost. And then at the end, he gets to come back to life and just, like, return to living a wonderful life, you know? yeah. And I think that was the one that I saw that I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. This is a good idea. And then every one I've seen after that, I was just like, eh, God. <laughs> so I, I, I am worried about that as well now. I hadn't even considered that. No, it was, I think it was the trailer that made me worry about that because of the way, um, just the way it seemed. Like, it seemed like, because of the supernatural aspect of it, I thought of either like a Rumpelstiltskin situation or like a he's already dead situation. What if, uh, and I'm, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall at this point. What if it's uh, the the kid is supposed to be a representation of the killer's like innocence? Yeah. It's like fighting against these voices and the voices. And he, aren't and even... he is the killer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like that's that's a part of the killer. It's, it's it's he isn't the killer. It's just that he's like part of the killer's like identity and like his thoughts. That, that'd be pretty cool. We haven't seen something like that since fucking uh, M Night Shyamalan the the second in the Unbreakable series. Oh, uh, uh, spl- split. split. Yeah, I was gonna say splint, and I'm like, that's yeah. Right. Yeah, split was a little bit like that, where it was like that horror movie, but it was also like, what was his name? The actual killer. The horde it, is the the, the horde, given, but he has the horde is the killer or yeah. the actual like beast or whatever. And then there's two of his personalities that are you know working with it, and then basically all the other ones are either trying to stop it or not. I thought that that was a pretty cool take on that. Yeah, I honestly wish... I, I really liked Split. Out of all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies, I have a really good time with that one. And I think... I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy's in it, so immediately I'm super on board. Yeah. But um, I, I wish we had spent more time with the the horror, with the, the main guy. Yeah. You know, and like watching him like interact with his different personalities throughout the day. Well, I mean, I understand why you, you couldn't really spend too much time with it because, like, even with the amount of time that we did spend with him, we, like, 
we get to the point where we've severely humanized him and it's still trying to be a horror story. Yeah. Kind of. I do think that the horror comes from Anya Taylor-Joy's story where yeah. she's trapped and she's trying to figure out a way to like get out and the other girls are freaking out and they're, yeah. they're both getting, you know, harassed in all these different ways. And, uh, that's the horrific part of it. I think it, I think you're right. If we did follow the main character in that one for too long or like main villain in that one for too long, uh, it We're would gonna be Dexterfy him. Yeah, he would just be like a normal dude at a certain point, or uh, we'd start feeling sympathetic for him, or he'd become ridiculous, where it's like this is just silly now. Yeah. So there's a lot of potential problems with that. So yeah, maybe the movie is like kind of towing that line very, very, very well. If this movie's going for something similar or something like you know what I described or, or whatever have you, uh, I think that's something that's worth bringing up. Is like it's it's a fine line you have to walk when you're trying to do the I was dead the whole time reveal at the end. Or, yeah. The child was actually a part of his it, psyche. It, it's the whole been time. a lot harder since M. Night Shyamalan did it in the fucking Sixth Sense. And I, uh, 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 a lot of people rag on him for that, but like uh, when he was starting out, he was a really cheap horror, like or he was a really cheap movie maker. He made yeah. very budget friendly films, and I think that's where he should have stayed. Not not like holistically budget friendly. Like I think there were more than hundreds of thousands of dollars he would use on these movies, but like a lot less money than like the Avatar movie got. Yeah. The Avatar movie was I don't even know if it was M. Night Shyamalan's fault. Well I guess it had to be, but there's a lot of different theories on what happened there. Um a lot of times studios will do a thing where they'll do you give us one and we'll give you one. Yeah. So like if you're willing to take a movie that not a lot of people want to take and you make that movie for us will pay or will produce will will make sure that a movie you want to get made will get made and that's usually when like well from what i understood that would be like a him taking one or him you know him giving them one because uh wasn't it like the character who played katara wasn't like her like grandfather or father or something that essentially pushed for the film to be made yeah, that, that's, then, that is what I'm saying. Here, like, literally like, hired her to play he got, he got told, like, hey, if we're going to do, we give you one, you give us one. The one we want from you, like, the, 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 yeah, the, the one that nobody wants to do is this Avatar movie with this yeah. specific cast and this specific writer and all this other shit. A famous example of that is probably, and again, this is speculation. We don't know for sure. They don't typically come out and say, oh, yeah, this is a movie that got forced on me by the studio. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's in their contract somewhere. They're not allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it probably looks pretty bad. Old Boy is a is a famous Korean film, and it got remade in the American uh, remade for an American audience, and nobody wanted to do it because like every director who's worth their shit knows that Old Boy is a masterpiece. It's one of the greatest films ever made, and nobody wanted to do it, so they got Spike Lee to do it, which is a really weird choice. <laughs> and then it was a masterpiece again. <laughs> it was terrible. It was pretty universally panned um not not terrible it was a very very workable film it's just not nearly as good as the original which is kind of what you're afraid of going in yeah um and the idea here is that the one that he got in return was black Klansman, which the name alone by the way the name of this has three k's in it right in the middle where black and Klansman come together. and they i don't know what you'd have to like give for me to give that <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair a movie called Black Klansman is terrifying to look at until you like pan down and it says directed by Spike Lee and then you're like, oh, okay, it's fine. It's fine. He knows what he's doing with that shit. <laughs> yeah, I would I would trust uh, Spike Lee to make any uh, movie on the topic of like black history, black culture, any of that stuff. Yeah, uh, I I'm, think I'm he's got to I'm looking it up right now. I think I'm going to have to add it to my watch list. It's got Adam Driver in it, and he's pretty great. Yeah, it's it's. there's no space at all. It's just black KKK clans. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it's apparently a very good movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's and it's frustrating to watch him do uh, interviews for Black Klansmen and where he's like really excited and you can tell is like a passion for him. And then watching him do an interview for Old Boy where he's like, yeah, you know... I know about the other movie, and I'm going to try to pay respect to it, but do my own thing. And I'm like, oh, God, these are the most canned answers I've ever heard. Like, they clearly wrote down, like, if they ask you if you know about the original, you say yes, and I'm going to do my own thing. Well, okay. you tell him no. He's just like, I wrote this. We talked. I'm going in blind. <laughs> I'm going in blind. Yeah, I have no clue. I heard about this podcast, See for Yourself, where they just go in blind, and I'm doing it now, too. <laughs> but on the other end... <laughs> In reverse. Yeah. <laughs> I made a bunch of predictions about what I thought the original would have in it, 
And then I just put those in my movie. <laughs> so, like, whenever we go watch this movie, what do you think the best thing? What What is your highest hopes for how this movie was going to go? Like, if it if it if it could be what you're envisioning right now as like the best version of this, what what, what do you think that be? So I always really like it when horror movies can save on budget by like uh, utilizing like one location. Yeah, um, I like I like seeing that, and I like seeing it done creatively. A lot of yeah. times, it's not done. And it seems like it, it should be able to hit on that one because, like, mostly I feel like we're going to be in a cell. You know, yeah. Or I feel like as a realistic expectation to put out using creatively using one location, I think is something they could do here. I don't know if they will. Um, I don't have anything suggesting one way or the other, other than that that blurb. But uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, I don't know how they would creatively do this because, as you said, like it does kind of just sound like this takes place in a basement. Yeah. And like, how do you creatively use like one space for that? Uh, maybe maybe they could do some like uh, like some single take shots. I'm always happy to see those. Um, try to keep an eye out for those. It probably well, be pretty easy. I mean, maybe it's not just in a basement, but it's also like in the house. Like he finds a way out of the basement, but he can't find a way out of the house. You know. I imagine also to establish stakes for like, oh, hey, the killer's a killer. They'll probably have to go to other places showing him killing other people. Yeah. Uh, I am curious to find out. Here's a question I had as I'm reading the blurb. Why does he keep this kid alive? don't know. I have no idea. It seems like a liability, and I'm curious to explore that aspect of their relationship. Like, yeah, it seems like, from what I remember of the trailer, the voices that he hears are other kids, too. So maybe he's just like a kidnap and a kill because you know, all all serial killers have their own like you know methodology, method and yeah. whatever. Thinking about like the uh, the Trinity Killer and Dexter, you know, he started off by kidnapping a kid, and then that was I think also his last kill or something, or maybe the first kill to start the cycle. But like he kept a kid for a while. So do you have a guess as to like what his methodology for that is? Like why does he keep the kid? What's the reason for it? Or do you think they'll explain it? I think it's gonna be some Rumpelstiltskin shit. Okay, okay. that's <laughs> like I'm I'm going to your parents and asking them like uh, what my name is and yeah. so on, torturing yeah. your parents basically, torturing your parents or like you know maybe he. I do remember there being some sort of like hint at the, there being some supernatural stuff with the killer himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know, like, child's blood is, like, useful and like, you know, a lot of the, like, dark magics and stuff and blood, ma- blood magics, especially in, like, modern, you know, modern, like, storytelling and stuff. So, you know, maybe that's part of it. That'd be pretty cool if they took this to, like, a place of, like, like, like actual magic stuff. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but of course, I'm a nerd at heart, so you know I, I incorporate magic as many times as I can, <laughs> hoping for something fantastical other than a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what if that's it? God, what if that's it? He's actually just a superhero. Yeah, the main guy is like, oh no, I'm not magical or religious or anything like that or, or spiritual in any way. Nope, I just I have superpowers. <laughs> I have superpowers, and I need children's blood to keep. What if this is the first movie in the like uh, the New Mutants like <laughs> franchise for Marvel? Because I think well, the New Mutants was the first movie in the New Mutants. Franchise. That's not true. Sony owns that. Was it? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, that was one of the last ones made by Sony for no reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just and you can tell because when you watch the New Mutants, it sucks. Yeah. So like that's how you know it's made by Sony. <laughs> <laughs> Anya Taylor-Joy is it? Anya Taylor-Joy is the redeeming factor in that one. And her character got screwed because her character is fairly interesting. And I don't know why they went the way they did in the movie. Yeah, I remember her character. Like, she did, like, some, like, she could jump at will into, like, an alternate reality or alternate future or something like that. Yeah. And then pull, like, weapons back with her. And, like, that's so fucking cool. Everything about that is just, like, the nerd people everywhere are like, fuck yes. <laughs> You can jump into a D&D campaign and jump out with your loot. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I remember the voice she did, like, when, like, talking to her little, like, pet, or her little uh, plush dragon thing, or talking as it, or whatever. Yeah. That voice was awful, and I don't know if that's Anya Taylor-Joy's fault or not, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not her fault. Anya Taylor-Joy is perfect and can do no wrong. Yeah, that movie was bizarre as shit for me. It's definitely made by Sony, so unfortunately, this might be the New Mutants for. <laughs> this is just like the first villain. Well, we'll, we'll know. We'll know in the opening if we see the comic book. You know, 
made Marvel Studios. What if, what if that's the next big play for Marvel Studios, where they're just like, all right, movies for this phase. You have to, you have to sit through the credits to find out if it's Marvel or not. Yeah, we put the Marvel thing at the end. And then, <laughs> like, you, then you see the... <laughs> Marvel! And then they do a post-credit scene where, like, you know, Captain America shows up and he's like, all right, guys, so basically for this new phase, you got duped. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been duped by Marvel Studios. <laughs> uh, what, which which movie does does that? I think it's the it's Homecoming. It's the Spider-Man. Right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's Homecoming. Like, so you failed yourself in detention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome and terrifying. I could never feel safe going to a movie again. <laughs> That's the real horror aspect of this movie. The rest of the movie is just like a standard Marvel movie where all the jokes are like they're towing that line between like, ooh, that's kind of risky, but like not too risky. Yeah. And then you're like, man, that movie wasn't scary at all. And then the end credits scene is just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> we tricked you into watching a Marvel movie. They, uh, they've been putting, for, for this movie, The Black Phone, they've been putting uh, ads up online. And I've, I haven't watched the like trailers of them. But the reason I haven't watched the trailers of them is because the ads start with those, like, um, was it, like, test audience uh, reactions. And it's like, man, this is what this is what paranormal activity did to, like, market itself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, after that, I just kind of, like, it, it, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't make me any more interested in it. Oh, God. I'm, oh, my God. That's, that's something I really hate. Uh, this is... I'm really worried every time I go to see a horror movie now that it's just going to be ripping off of, like, a popular horror movie or a horror movie that made a lot of money. Yeah. And they're, like, just going to be, like, borrowing stuff from that but without any, like, intelligent understanding of why they did those things or why it was, like, popular or useful at the time. I mean, I don't think it's going to be ripping off paranormal activity. It's using, like, the same marketing scheme, you know. Sure. The live reaction of the audience members. And that enough is, like, that's that's fine if it's completely separate from the movie, I guess. But, like, that enough isn't enough to scare me for the rest of the film, like, having stuff like yeah. that, like, incorporated throughout. Um, was, there, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we go ahead and... No, I think, uh, I think we'll... You know, go watch the movie. All right, yeah. So come back. Let's let's call this the the break point, and we'll just move it on out to the the movie after. Okay, and we are back uh, from watching the movie, and uh, I think we both have quite a few thoughts. There was a, there was a lot to be said for that film. Uh, uh, Brian, do you want you want to start us off? Yeah. So first off, the Rumpelstiltskin stuff didn't happen. Which I think we're all sad about that. Was there a point in the film where you thought it was going to go that way? No, not once it actually started, because I realized that like what I had been thinking about, uh, like the supernatural aspect of it, I remembered it was just that he was faking of being a magician or something in the in the fucking trailer or whatever that I watched. I was like, oh yeah, that was the magic thing that he was doing. <laughs> I just remembered. I just remembered a bit of magic. Wait, was he was he faking being a magician, or was he like really a magician? Because he has like the van that says Abracadabra yeah. and everything on. I mean, I'm, I don't know if he was faking or not. He did say he's an amateur magician or whatever. So yeah, it doesn't show that part of his life. So yeah, we don't really get to see. But that's like that's commitment to the bit to like have like a van with Abracadabra on it, and your brother like yeah. sees it and knows about it. So like, it's not like you can just have that and not be like have that and have like an excuse to be like yeah i just have this van for no no reason basically i'm not a magician but i have it and you know the brother is another thing that i think is is weird because i just do not see how he was able to get like by with any of that shit while his brother was in the house living with him in the house yeah i i because it takes a lot of setup and the kids like as the ghost kids were talking to uh finn they were basically explaining like I fucked this place up while I was living here. Yeah. So, like, it seems like the brother might have noticed at some point. And this yeah. is the brother's house, so... Is it the brother's house? Oh, no, 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 that's right. Uh, Max, no. Max, the brother, was only watching it while the other... Um, yeah, yeah, he was, he was, I think he, I think they established that he was just, like, crashing there for a few days because of some unknown reason, family reason. What was the scariest part of the movie for you? <laughs> scariest? I thought the movie actually got scary. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. The scariest part of the movie for me was that in 1978, a man could potentially have a job as a magician and own two different homes. Across the street from one another. Yeah. Yeah. In 1978, 
that could happen. Now, you you would in, in order to own two homes in like a like a nice area. Oh God! If <laughs> you had a job as an amateur magician, of course that raised his salary up enough to have two separate homes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One that he used entirely for the purpose of burying children. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing in that house. Uh, uh, that was that was another thing. Like, did his brother not know about the other home? Seems like yeah, he would probably just keep that secret, right? Yeah, I mean if you're if you're burying kids in your other home, I don't think you bring that to the light. You yeah, know? tell anybody about that, you know? Yeah, it's like oh, them damn neighbors. Wonder what that stench is, you know? Yeah. So I guess he he only the only time he goes into that house is at night, I guess. Yeah. And then he just like waits until it seems like nobody's watching him, but like somebody had to have seen him go in there at some point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, but I, what I, the one thing that I don't get is that like. The time that the kid escapes, sure. he runs out of the house and he's screaming and everything and there's all this noise and everything. And then by the time he gets him back into the basement, does he not throw him down? And his brother like starts yelling at him, hey, what's all the ruckus or whatever? Yeah, and he's like, oh, it's the dog barking is, is his excuse for it. How yeah. did he not wake up at any other point during that? Yeah. Like, how did you not hear any of this other shit? I guess it's the uh, the kids screaming, you know. So like up until then, he had been completely silent, right? Like yeah. leaving the house. He's yeah, I guess he didn't start screaming until like he, he was out chasing him with yeah. the van. Yeah, and he's like, I, even as he's running from the van, he's still pretty quiet. He starts yelling like once the guy is like clearly about to catch him. Yeah. So at that point, you could imagine Max like potentially being woken up by that noise, like oh something loud just happened. What was that noise? And then you know he hears like uh, yeah. the brother like come home and everything. And the kid is, like, knocked out, so he's not making any more noise. And he's like, hey, man, what was that noise? What's going on? He's like, shut up, dude. It's just the dog. And that's enough of an answer. Yeah. I mean, also, that kid, you know, he he, he was going to get caught anyway because he was running with the road. Like, if he was smarter, he would have ducked behind one of the other houses. Yeah, gotten into their, like, backyard or something or other, like, yeah. at any point, you know. And then just started yelling. Yeah. Start yelling in somebody's backyard. Yeah, they're going to come look at yeah, my, my question is, is like, it seemed like he was running for a pretty long ways. How far did he go, like, without trying to stop at somebody's porch and just bang on the door? Uh, no, it looked like he, like, barely cleared, like, the yard by the time that he had pulled out. Yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is it felt like he was, the amount of time yeah. that they were filming it felt, like, longer than how far it seems like he got. Yeah, because you got to think, how I many of those little kids running... He, he was booking it, but like, no, it wasn't was huge or anything. It's not like there was a lot of space in between these houses or anything, you know. Yeah, but it was still like suburbia. So, I mean, like suburbia and like, I think it was Denver, Colorado. It was Denver, yeah. In the seventies, I mean, there's probably a decent amount of space between the houses. Not, not quite like it is today, where there's. I hear your argument. It just doesn't sway me at all. I feel like he should have been able to make it to a house, the front porch, and everything. I don't yeah, feel he, the he same stayed way. On, he stayed on the road. That, that's what I was just saying, though. Like he stayed not on the road, but on the sidewalk, yeah. running down the sidewalk. Yeah. Like he, it, I wouldn't even stop at somebody's front porch. I would have ducked behind their house. Yeah. Because like even then, What's even if you duck behind their house, that guy's got to chase you on foot at that point because man's not going back there. And if it does, then he's got some explaining to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, and if he shows up in somebody's backyard or somebody's, like, you know, yeah, the space in between their house in the middle of the night, it's like, what the fuck are you doing back there, dude? Yeah. Why is this kid screaming? Or, you know, why are you hold a knife to the kid's throat? Yeah. I think that the, the answer is just that, like, maybe back in the 1970s, there wasn't as much, like, light. Like, because, like, nowadays, like, there's, like, there's lights everywhere, like illuminating different areas. So back then it was a lot darker and you could just like jump on top of a kid and like lay there and it would be kind of hard to tell, you know? Yeah. I know that like in a lot of the places that I've lived, the uh, like streets were like pretty well illuminated even at like nighttime. So maybe it just wasn't that way in 1978. I'm not sure. Overall, I know that the movie was trying to do like a lot of like biblical references and uh, I just didn't feel like they were very well done in particular. Well, what were the biblical references you saw? So, like, the brother kills the other brother, uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, the dog's name is Samson, who's a biblical character. Uh, the dog also sort of plays the part of uh, Cerberus guarding the gates of the underworld. Oh. Uh, you think that might have been more of a throw to uh, Son of Sam than it was to... I'm sorry, what? You think that might have been more of a throw to Son of Sam than it was to, like, the Bible? You know, 
I'm unfamiliar. Son of Sam, the uh, killer in the uh, in New York. It was New York, right? And whatever year where he uh, he <clears throat> originally he tried to blame it on his neighbor's dog Sam, uh, who was apparently you know telling you know telling him that uh, he needed to kill people or you know. He, I guess, heard it in his barks at night or something like that. That he need, you know, he needed to go out and kill these people. Huh. You know, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this entirely. That's an interesting you thing. Don't, you don't know about the son of Sam? No. Oh, okay. He's very famous serial yeah. killer. Yeah. No, I haven't. Um, the reason I bring up the biblical stuff is like so much of the rest of the film is concerned with like. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just figured you know it's, it's an actual dog, you know, and the, the dog was what was getting blamed for. Uh, or what he was trying to blame it on. Yeah. I'm, I'm out here tackling a child in the middle of the night, threatening to gut him. Uh, and it's actually just the dog making these noises, not me. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, that could very much be a thing. Uh, I know that Samson's character in the Bible is, like, just, like, a really strong guy who loses yeah, all Sam- his power. Samson in the Bible is a strong man who had long hair that was never cut. Yeah. And uh, he's he's... Tempted by Jezebel, which is why calling someone Jezebel is like calling them a, a whore or whatever. A temptress, yeah. Yeah, because of Jezebel tempting uh, Samson and then cutting his hair uh, after uh, after he fell asleep, which made him lose his strength. Yeah. Which allowed um, whatever assholes were attacking, you know, the place that he was guarding to come in and slay him. I noticed a lot of those, like, uh, biblical references, you know, but uh, I just don't feel like they really did anything with them. Yeah. So it's easy. I think it would be very easy for somebody to hear me saying these things and just go, like, I don't think they were, like, actually trying to make biblical references. Yeah. And I, I agree. Like, if you make a reference to something and you don't do anything with it, is it even still a reference? Well, I mean, just like uh, the, the, the Bible has the answers for everything in life, you know, that idea that Christians have that you can find relevancy with a story in the Bible for just about anything. You pretty much can't, because the Bible covers a large sum of stuff. So sure, you know, I think that might be part of the problem with what you're you know seeing there. It's like you're seeing a relevance that was probably unintentional. I mean, so like Max's character didn't have to be his brother; he could have just been a house sitter. Yeah. So like they put that in there on purpose. No, I think it. I think it did have to be his brother or some sort of family member because. I, if you look, if you watch the timeline of events, it doesn't make sense for him to have kept that kid alive for as long as he did because it seemed like it was about a kid a week that was getting grabbed and like killed or whatever, and he was there for several days. You know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like it seems like most of the kids were kind of getting grabbed and dying within like a day or so, where he had a couple more days than they did. And I think that's because his brother was living with him, which bought him some time because he was having to figure out, okay, you know, how can I do this without, you know, Max catching me? Hmm. See what I mean? Like, I think that was part of what gave him uh, a little bit of uh, the edge. Yeah, that was something that I wish they had explored more. Like, why is the uh, killer so he's, he's talking to Finn as if he's some kind of special kid in some way? Yeah. But he doesn't really have any reason to feel that way that we get indicated of, other than what you just said, where, like, his brother is staying with him. But, like, his brother's staying with him because he's out of town right now, but he's not out of town. He's still in town, so he's just sort of convinced his brother he's out of town, but then he comes back to town. I don't know why. Did he say that it was because he's out of town? I thought that something had happened with his brother. Like, in his brother's life, and that made him need a place to crash. I thought that that was what was being portrayed i don't remember there being a line indicating that i know that he said the max said about the grabber man uh to the cops he said i'm watching his house while he's not here right now i don't know if he said yeah, he's I think he was at work uh yeah so i don't know if he says he's at work i know he i know he mentions that he's not here right now I you guess. know um whenever it showed that scene i immediately knew that a it's not that guy but also that guy's so fucking dumb that it's probably that house and then, it, you know, it pans down and shows going up the floorboards and it being the house. I was like, okay, yeah. There were so many weird transitions in that movie. Like, because there's a lot of, like, strange transitions for some reason. Yeah. Um, that when they transitioned that way from, like, upstairs and then to downstairs, just panning down, basically. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I thought, I was like, oh, okay, they're in the same house here. And then I was like, 
or maybe not. Maybe this is just another one of those weird transitions. Yeah. And that is bad filmmaking, I think, by definition. I'm not trying to say this is a bad movie, just that like that that specific thought in my head where I'm not certain if that's what they're telling me. Yeah. You should be able to like see that and know for sure. Well, another thing I want to point out is what was up with the layout of this house? Because he's down in the basement, right? Mm-hmm. But yet he somehow digs into a cooler, which means that there is a second basement adjacent basement to this one that he has access to. Yeah. <laughs> The house layout doesn't make any sense to me at all. And didn't they say that the cooler was in a, uh, like a storage? A storage shed, yeah. yeah. It says that this cooler leads to a storage shed. It's like, but you're in a fucking basement. Yeah. Like, you're below ground right now. You're, you're below ground. Where? What storage shed? Yeah. How many storage sheds are underground? How many yeah. storage sheds have basements? Unless he had maybe like a fallout shelter or something. But why, why would you have a fallout shelter and like a concrete basement? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, I agree. That is an odd thing. No, I just thought it was. I just thought it didn't make any sense at all. Like, who would design a house this way or design any part of the property this way? Yeah, so there is a possibility here that the basement was bigger at one point, and he just closed off a section of it. Oh, that's probably what it is. Um, And then maybe he has access to a different. He has an access to like a separate half of it. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes a little bit more sense. Like, there's two ways down into the basement, and yeah. he just cut off half of it, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But even even that, like, two ways into the basement seems a little odd. Most, like, basement entrances, there's just one. But I guess if you have a big basement, it makes sense to have two entrances. Well, yeah, if you have a, that size of a basement, I would imagine you probably have an outer entrance and, like, an inside entrance. Like, the inside entrance is obviously where you closed off for the cell portion of it. Yeah. But, but even then, wouldn't that raise questions if your brother goes down and you're like, hey, wasn't this basement much larger when you bought this place? Yeah, you basically have to explain like, oh yeah, I turned the other side of it into a game room. And it's like, oh, oh cool, I'll go to the game room. That'd be fun. Game room, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I meant uh, my, my studio where I work. I just, all I do is, you do magic work over there? Like you just test out magic equipment? That's cool. I'd like to check that out. <laughs> Yeah, like, give me something that I would like to check out. It's like, it's like, no, 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 you can't check it out. A magician never reveals his secrets. And, and maybe Max just, like, believes that. He's like, oh, oh yeah, you're right, you're right. I don't want to ruin your... Max was pretty dumb. Yeah. yeah I, could, I could see it. That was. A... I, think, I think that was one of the funnier parts, though, is that um, Max apparently is crashing with his brother for, like, the week or whatever. And he during that time, he sets up a full... Like investigation, investigation yeah. of the crapper. So what I didn't like about that was that like, it's it's okay for someone to be like not believed by the police for being like kind of like kooky or behaving awkwardly. Yeah, that's okay. That's enough. But for them to do that, and he's like behaving awkwardly and strangely, and like the cops are kind of just like, okay, dude, chill out. And then also to have him doing coke, like why? Why add that as well? Yeah. I, I just love the blind faith that the, the officers had in that little girl. That's probably the second scariest thing in this film. <laughs> is that it's just like, oh, this little girl had a dream. Get the entire force together. We're going downtown. We're not going to just investigate this ourselves. We're going to get several squad cars. Yeah, like, like four other cars to come with us. <laughs> so and, we can kick this door in. Yes, well, no warrant. Just, I mean, it's 1978, so the cops were basically cowboys. They could do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and they and they still can. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like you're just going to kick in this door and fucking investigate this like, house with no reason to other what than... What is it like I heard screaming inside? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so the most redeeming... What is the most redeeming quality of this film for you? The thing that you're just like, that was really, really, really good. Mm, I think the casting is one of the, one of the more redeeming qualities. Because uh, both the both the main child and Ethan Hawke, I thought they did very well in their roles. I, I think that I think the acting is, is really well done. The I only think... complaint I had with the acting was for the first half of the movie, the little girl seemed like she was just reading like lines, and then you get to this one point where she there's a uh, a pretty good scene with her. Um, forget exactly what happens but from then on like she gets she's like breaks down in two i think it's right whenever he gets grabbed or whatever uh there's a pretty good scene with her reacting to that and then from that point on her acting i feel like improved dramatically i disagree i think she was great the whole time i was going to say like as a standout performance i think that that little girl did a great job um Um, i just for the first like 
maybe not even half, but a quarter of the movie, it just kind of felt like she was reading lines, you know what I mean? Like, What about the scene where um, the cops come visit her in, in school? And that's pretty funny because she's calling them fart knockers, and that's yeah. pretty funny. But... Um, also, when she goes home and her dad is like beating her, and that was that was a good scene. That yeah. was very well done. And I'm not saying that like um, not, not not even then, but I'm I'm saying like some of the some of the like some of the scenes with her, like when she's walking when home, they, and... when they weren't like emotionally driven, it just seemed like she was just like reading lines. But then whenever she was having to do like an emotional performance, she was like killing it. I don't know. I think that um, in the scenes where you're not really, like, you're kind of just, like, going through everyday shit, like, walking home with your brother and saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to my friend Stacy's house or whatever. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll take care of Dad. Even his delivery wasn't good. And I don't think anybody's delivery would be terribly, like, stand out as, like, good in that scene because it's just not – there's nothing for you to be invested in here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting, like – I'm not expecting them to be, like, super, like, you know – invested in it but like it, it just didn't feel like a natural conversation you know what I mean I do think that some of those scenes for me because like based on the things that are happening in the movie I'm like wondering like when is one of these main characters going to get abducted because I you know I try to go in and like you know the blurb can say one thing but still the first like half of the movie can be something entirely different because a lot of times blurbs will only describe that's, well that's something we brought up in the first Half of this is like, how much time do you think is going to be invested in just the cell, you know? Yeah. And how they're going to you know, deal with that. And then, yeah. I guess it makes sense to have like the side plot be like, okay, the sister has some sort of psychic abilities, and I guess he does too. And they're like linked, which helps her find him and helps him also escape. Because if you notice, the phone rings when she's asleep. The phone rang most of the times whenever she was asleep. Even whenever she was falling asleep in class, that was when he was having conversations on the phone. Because I think she was sort of the barrier that was linking them. Because hmm. I think it was it was the idea was that she was dead. He might have had some sort of psychic abilities, but she had way more. So I thought the thing was going to be because I noticed also that like a lot of the times they would transition a scene from him talking to somebody on the phone and then transition over to her waking up or starting yeah. her day or something or other. I thought the thing was going to be in my head. I was like, oh, I think the thing might be you have to be close to death in order to like access this like psychic ability somehow. And like when you're asleep. As far as living people go, yeah. that's pretty close to death. And that's why she can see these like sort of discombobulated visions while she's asleep. And there was that scene, and this is where I started getting the idea. There's that scene where she's in the uh, the bathtub. Yeah. And she kind of like has like a vision or something and like pokes her head up and like <gasps> and like gets up from it. And I thought she was like, because like that's what her dad tells her basically is like, you know, your mom had these visions and I had these dreams. Yeah, and then she would they're just dreams. She made her kill she made her kill herself eventually. And I'm like, maybe that's how her mom started like accessing her powers more is like the closer she would get to death, the more like she could access her abilities. Yeah. And because the kid, uh, Finn, is like in this basement where this guy is basically he knows that the guy is gonna kill him. Yeah. Uh, that's why he's able to access the powers. I mean, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good take. I, I don't think that's what they did with it, but I like that as an idea. Yeah. But no, I mean, if you ever, I don't know if you'll ever explore this movie again. But, I probably will, knowing me. Uh, but like, pay attention to when, uh, when she's sleeping and when he's getting a phone call, and it's the, it's always she'll be waking up right after he got a phone call. I remember that being true for most of it. I'm I'm willing to agree with you tentatively right now because as I'm recalling it, yes, that, that did happen very frequently. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing you'd have to like go through a second time with a fine-tooth comb to verify, you know what I mean? Yeah, but then she would also be dreaming of the child that uh, he had the conversation with. Yeah. And that was every time that he had the conversation with somebody except for when he had the conversation with his friend. When he had the conversation with his friend... That was the only time. Robin. The, uh, yeah, Robin. Yeah. That was the only time in which they were both uh, definitely awake. And um, I feel like that was part of his sort of psychic connection. Probably was easier because he was friends with the guy. You know, to... Sure. So, like, I guess I should probably talk about this because it's kind of like one of my bigger things for it is... So, the movie's a Blumhouse movie, and I've talked about on this podcast a handful of times about how I feel about Blumhouse... And this movie did a lot of the Blumhouse things where it's just unnecessary jump scares for no reason. But I did feel like the movie was also trying to condition us to, like, not think that they would always go for the jump scare when they could. Yeah. Because there were scenes where they would just have the ghost behind him and not have the big loud noise or not have the fast transition to it or anything like that. And yeah. they would just show the ghost and it's, like, totally normal. But then there were also a lot of scenes, all the scenes where people were reacting like, oh, my God. 
were the ones where it would do the fast transition, show the ghost and like yeah. big loud noise right after. Like the like the when she's like bicycling in the rain and the lightning comes down and all the ghosts appear on the street and it's like yeah. Nothing scary is actually really happening here. She already has seen these dead people in her dreams and everything. She's not getting any new information. It's just because it happened very quickly and there was a lot of noise. Yeah. This isn't actually scary. Yeah. And Blumhouse is sort of known for like abusing that trick to try to make a not scary movie a lot scarier or make a movie that is actually scary somehow more scarier. Yeah. See, that, that was the, that was the issue is that like, for whatever reason, they wanted to, they wanted to lean into like the ghost being part of the like scary stuff, which didn't make any sense because that's that's what you're talking about. Like the jump scares were just like, okay, this is the ghost, you know. The the true terror from the movie should have came from uh the you know, being with the serial killer. Yeah. So like I mean if I I feel like if I had done it, I would have left more time with uh, each individual like kid to be in that you know basement or whatever and just not had the brother been a, a part of it at all you know just be like okay so this is his ritual you know yeah it would have been it also would have been really cool to see like i think that's a, a problem with modern audiences they don't want to see kids dying they're cool yeah. with being aware that kids are dying but they just don't want to fucking see it yeah they don't want to be like they don't want to stew in it so if they did that where it's like all right we're gonna have the first kid get abducted we're gonna spend like 15 minutes with him and then he'll die and then we'll go to the next kid, and that could have been really cool too to have the phone be like, there. Not even like fifteen minutes, but like you know, the, the first kid gets abducted. We see him like in the like basement or whatever, and then like maybe we see what happens to him. But all of that can be just within a couple, maybe five minutes. I think another scary thing that they don't touch on at all is how this guy basically got to go around in, in normal society and nobody knew that he was like a creepy abductor guy. Yeah. That's, that's they don't, the thing. They don't reveal anything yeah. really about what this guy is, which I think was an intentional thing because if you if you look at the credits, he is listed as the grabber. Yes. he doesn't. He's never given a name. He's never any of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, kind of a smart move on Blumhouse's uh, part because like when you think about... Um, when you think about serial killers, when you think about like uh, slasher movies and everything, everybody like knows the name and they like almost uh, fetishize it, which I think is a sort of a I don't want to call it an unhealthy way to like you know an unhealthy way to view these people, but like I do think it is kind of that. So you think if they had named him, so like- I, you know I think not naming not naming him and like you know. Um, Keeping him as just like, oh, this is the grabber, and, you know, he's just this bad boogeyman type. I think that, like, that doesn't give him enough uh, identity to be uh, fetishized in that way, you know what I mean? I don't know. I think if we, like, if we make our killers mystical in any way, we take away the fact that, like, they're just people. Yeah. They're just people that have, like, a part of their brain that doesn't work the way that the rest of our brain works, and it's become violent and, like... I prefer the version of this story where we just show him like living out in town and like yeah. uh, going around and like doing kids like magic shows basically. Yeah. And there's no reason why they should or they couldn't have done that too because like I mean they had a good cast for it. Ethan Hawke could have delivered that. Yeah, I think he could have. Well, he does. Like every yeah. time we see him in that like persona of like lighthearted, like oh I, I spilled all my groceries. Look at all these groceries. Yeah. You know I didn't think of, like. While we were watching this, I thought that made me realize that, like, oh, Ethan Hawke would have been a good Joker. Because, <laughs> like, you know, his delivery of all of that and, mm-hmm. like, the way he is, like, that, that's on par with, like, almost Heath Ledger Joker. Like, I don't want to say that he's, like, drawing from the Joker for this performance. Yeah. But I do think that, like, uh, there were points, I agree, where I was watching it and I was thinking, like, this is kind of Joker-esque. Yeah. Um, and I hate that that's a lens we have to look at movies through. But, uh, yeah, we're living in a post-Heath Ledger Joker world, and, like, we can't yeah. not... Well, even... Um, even uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It, it was a little bit like a mix between Heath Ledger's and Joaquin Phoenix's. Uh, mixed with, like, uh, child murderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think that would be an interesting way to take the Joker as a child murderer, basically. Which, like, and that hits home for Batman, you know? Yeah. Like, he cares about that specifically. Yeah. So that would be that would be an interesting way to go about it. I do think that they uh, they limit the amount of time we get with the other kids because of uh, how hard it is to make them scary. Yeah, I think most of the time they're like kind of just like heartwarming and helpful. 
Um, some of them are like less like kind hearted than others, but really there's only the one that's kind of a douche. The rest of them are just like, I'm trying to help you out, kid. You're going to die. Be safe out there. And then two of them even are like close friends of his, people he really liked. Yeah. Well, they weren't close friends of his. The the one kid was just like a guy he played baseball with one time and they had said some nice things to him. And then the other one was actually his friend. Yeah. Uh, the ending of the movie where he goes back to fucking school and everybody's like, he killed a guy. That's so cool. That yeah. was weird to me. But uh, the, that also, like, to me, that's a weird way to end the movie. But uh, to me, that also made, like, a lot of sense. Because, like, if you if you actually killed a serial killer called the Grabber, the Grabber and you were, like, 12 years old going back to school, that's how people would treat you. Like, that guy over there killed the grabber. Holy shit, better not get his way. Yeah, uh, I just I just don't like that as the ending for the film. That feels fucking weird. Yeah. I don't even know if I like having it in the film at all. I, I feel like, you're right, that probably is how middle schoolers would, like, yeah. behave. Or even, like, high schoolers, too, probably. I thought it was a funny end. I, I didn't understand it being the end of the horror, to a horror movie because I was expecting, uh, you know, it being Blumhouse, them trying to set up some sort of sequel or something just in case. I thought that they were going to do another jump scare at the end because Blumhouse is notorious for, like, we'll yeah. just throw a jump scare in at the end right before so the So that credits. was, you know, that was a little bit of a curveball in itself. Was there a point where you thought, uh, like, there was going to be a twist, like, right at the end? Did you have any theories for that as you were watching it? No, not really. I, I don't know. It, for the most part, it did feel like it was going to be like a self-contained story. Sure. Because I, I felt like if any twist was going to happen, uh, well, then he probably wasn't going to kill the guy. But he killed the guy. So, I don't know. I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it. I'm like, I think if, they, if, if we see any more of the grabber, um, it would be in like some sort of like haunted house type thing or something maybe in the future. So, so I had two theories as I'm watching it. I thought, one, the grabber was going to get away and it would be blamed on Max. I thought that's what was going to happen. Like, the grabber would kill Finn, get away with it, like, run away. Yeah. And then Max would be left there. And the cops are already a little suspicious of him because of how strangely he was acting when he was high on coke. Yeah. And now they find a dead body in the basement of the house that he was in. And it's like, well, it was clearly Max. We don't need to do... We're cops. We don't need to do any more detective work here. <laughs> I, I know that would have been a possibility, too. But, like, the way that the movie was going at that point, it just seemed like it was, like... You know how you can feel from, like, the lightheartedness of, like, oh, we're, we're all pitching in to help? Like, I just didn't think that they would, you know, go the other way with that. Like, I don't think that they were... Blumhouse is that big of a risk taker sure, yeah. to be like, you know, this kid we followed for like the last hour and some change that we hour and some like. change that we, you know, we built up all this time being like, yeah, you're going to get out of here, kid. Yeah, it's all up to you. You know, big heartwarming. We, we've given you, yeah, we've given you all of the tools you need and then just have him just like get his ass kicked and eaten by a dog. I, whenever he showed the dog, I thought that might have been what would happen because I was like, oh. He did not train for a dog killing him. Yeah, he didn't train for a dog killing him. I was like, oh, he's just going to let the dog loose. But he didn't do that. He tied the dog up. Uh, and then the other one I had was when uh, they went to the first house and the kids weren't in it, I thought for sure, I, I started thinking like, oh, fuck, like he's already dead and the grabber has gotten away with it and we've been being shown stuff that's already happened like some time ago because we don't get a good understanding of like what's literally happening in sequential time it's just showing us events and then cutting to other events and then cutting to other events and we assume it's all happening chronologically but that could not be true it's a very common thing in film yeah. um so i thought maybe he already got away with this and then the kid starts walking out of the other house and i'm like well he still could have gotten away with it and this is just the kid's like ghost yeah. you know i i whenever we're showing that too i did briefly think that but i also thought um no, nah, these idiots are at the wrong place because uh, there was no furniture while they were going around. Mm -hmm. I was like, these these idiots are at the wrong place, or these these idiots who believed a little girl. a little girl. <laughs> like I thought that that might have been pretty funny too, as if like <laughs> they're just like. Yeah, we blindly followed this little girl to this fucking house, and then, yeah, he, he walks out of the house, you know, fucking nine neighborhoods over. <laughs> I wish that that was a line that was given, because I kept expecting the cops to, like, explain to the dad why they're accosting this little girl over, like, murders that are happening in the area. Because <laughs> uh, that's a fucked up thing to talk to a little girl about, especially in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, 
So I thought that they maybe would have explained to somebody or the camera or the dad or somebody like, hey, we don't have any other leads. We're literally down to whatever we can get. Whatever the small girl tells us, yeah. And that would explain why they're just taking whatever somebody can say as like the gospel truth and like following it because they have literally nothing <laughs> else. Which I, I love the... I loved at the end where they're interviewing, uh, they're interviewing the captain or whatever, and he and he says the the lines of, and these are the two detectives that cracked the case. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what cracked it wide open? I kept expecting them to be like, yeah, we uh we put in a lot of hard hours, uh, like <laughs> put in a lot of hard hours harassing this little girl. <laughs> Finally, she gave up and told us all the information. No, she's not ghastly, nor did she have anything to do with it. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing, is the girl points out in the beginning, like, it's ridiculous to insinuate that a little girl would, like, kill these people, but it's also ridiculous to insinuate a little girl would have anything to offer based on her dreams. Like, you get the initial interest in it, like, hey, a little girl said that you had a dream about something, like, did you really see... Because they kept asking, like, what aren't you telling us? Tell us tell us what we're missing here. Why aren't you telling us? You know, you saw something, didn't you? Yeah, like, you're saying it's a dream, because that's what kids do when they don't want to admit that they know something or that they did something or whatever the fuck. And, like, that made sense. That part of it, I was yeah. willing to buy. But then after that, when, like, she just calls them randomly, it's like, I know the address, and they're like, okay, how? Fucking five squad. <laughs> And the second time they go to her house and everything, after yeah. she got beat over that first thing. And why the fuck did they call her dad? Like, I, I guess I understand why they called her dad. I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't think they have to to talk to her, don't they? Yeah, pro- probably. M- maybe not in the 1970s. I don't fucking know. <laughs> you could just go and take the kid out for ice cream and pick her up from school and like just take her down the block. <laughs> Same rules apply to the police. Mm. Uh, uh, but, like, uh, uh, I wish that... Uh, I wish they had done a little bit more explaining why the cops were so willing to, like, repeatedly come to this girl and be like, tell us about your dreams, little girl. What are we missing? <laughs> Where is he? Some of the some of the single greatest detective work. <laughs> Truly, like, this the kind of stuff Batman aspires to, I think. <laughs> the two detectives that cracked this case wide open. Yeah, they figured it all out, man. They put all the pieces together. <laughs> yeah, I uh, didn't love that. Something cinematography-wise uh, earlier was bad, but I do think that like them setting up the idea that the cops had fucked up and they went to the wrong house and now the kid is walking out of this wrong house and like we don't know if it's is that his spirit is he really alive is he dead and then we get confirmation of that but you have that moment of uncertainty. I think that was very well done. Yeah, like in terms of just like visual storytelling, making you second guess things and whatnot. That's very good. Yeah. That's a good... That's that, Those were good choices on the filmmaker's behalf. I do think the ending being as like nonchalant as it was, like, oh, he's such a kick-ass, he killed people, blah, 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 blah. And then he sits down and the girl's like, hey, Finny. Like, everything's normal. And he's like, just call me Finn. And like, smiles. Like, <laughs> I killed a guy and everybody thinks I'm popular now. Like, that's a weird way to end it. And specifically, I think it's Blumhouse trying to get away from the idea that all Blumhouse movies end in like a shitty jump scare for no reason. Yeah. I think they're aware that people think that and they're trying to like... Get off of it. Did you think that the movie had like a, uh, a thing that it was trying to like get at? Something, some hidden message it was trying to get across? No. No, because that's not it. Yeah, I think it was literally what it was. <laughs> was oh, it? The, the thing was stand up for yourself was the big thing. I guess that was the biggest thing. Yeah. But like, I, I, that is a message I guess it's been pushed away from a little bit in more modern times, the, like standing up for yourself, you know. Beat these kids. Beat these kids' asses. I also think that even that message sort of defeats itself because he didn't really stand up for himself too much. He, like, basically had to get told all the cheat codes, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, This wasn't, like, a thing that he... That that is, like, something that's that's weird because, like, okay, the first guy said that he had almost dug his way out, Mm -hmm. but we didn't say that. We saw him dig a big hole in the fucking ground. Yeah. Which he covered up with the tarp, I guess, to like hide it or whatever. And eventually, yeah, that was useful to him. But like all those like little like, oh, this is uh, how you do this and this, and this is how I tried to escape. That didn't culminate in anything. He eventually like used those uh, to his own advantage, like himself. Because like if you notice uh, with the hole, he essentially makes a Vietnamese pit trap. Yeah. With uh, the thing that he puts at the bottom is, I think it's the the grate over the, the grate. Ceiling. Over the, yeah, ceiling, yeah. 
Yeah. Which actually is the thing that actually, you know, he falls into and he, you know, comes up and smacks him in the leg and actually, like, sticks him there, I guess. Well, I think he, what happened is his foot got caught in one of the little uh, yeah. the grates in it, and it just sort of snapped because of the pressure between the lack of a uh, opening and an opening. Yeah. And so, you know, when the foot's trying to do that, it just sort of... Yeah, caves under That's, the, I mean, that was the yeah. that was the Vietnamese pit trap thing. Anyway, I didn't love that. That was the answer at the end. It wasn't really him using like his ingenuity. It was basically just I'm gonna beat the shit out of this guy, <laughs> beat the shit out of him, and choke him with this fucking phone cord. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll 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 set up a situation where like I'll trip him and have him fall into this little trap I I put together, and like yeah. it's sort of the what the Home Alone. Uh, answer to what do you do when someone's doing something illegal? I mean, I did think whenever he showed that dog coming down there, I did think, oh, well, this is over. <laughs> but uh, then he just puts it, he changed it up right there. I was like, okay, well, never mind. Yeah. It's on. <laughs> yeah, if the dog had been loose. If the dog had been loose. She. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't love the message of the film being like stand up for yourself by beating the shit out of people. Yeah. Um, I guess that is a much more 1970s answer to these kinds of problems. And certainly, like, you know, I'm not going to say that, like, if you're abducted by someone and they're going to murder you in a really gruesome way, you shouldn't beat the shit out of them. I think that's one of the few acceptable times you've got to really just beat the hell out of someone. <laughs> sure. But I just I just didn't love that he didn't get more opportunities to really express his own, like, ingenuity and creativity to, like... Yeah. Look at how somebody else tried to solve the problem and go, oh well, that's not going to work because of this. I'll do it differently in this way. Well, well, he did, he did do that, but it wasn't shown on camera. Like that was the thing, is that it was kind of a surprise to the audience. I'm like, okay, I mean, we did see him grab that cord and then like tie it up, and it's like, okay, so he's like in some sort of like spring, and then I knew that that was about where the hole was. Like, so he's going to like trip him into the hole or something. Yeah. But then I was thinking well, that hole wasn't really that deep, and then so that was what kind of. Caught me uh, off guard, I guess, was the fact that he put the 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 uh, grade or whatever down there to like actually get him caught in it. That is the one thing out of that setup that I did not see coming in advance was the yeah. like little thing in the bottom, and I didn't even think like that was terribly necessary. If you're like walking at someone full tilt and there's a hole in the ground that you don't see, you'll snap your legs falling into it, no matter what the fuck's in the bottom of it, basically, mm-hmm. unless it's like a like a man-sized hole where the bottom of it is like nice cushy ground or something and even then there's a chance you could still like jumping on a trampoline you can snap your legs on that you know so like you have enough body weight to crush your ankles and your you know your feet falling down just like a foot or two or not even a foot or two maybe like just a couple inches really yeah so like I didn't see the the grate being terribly necessary I as soon as he dug that hole and then covered it with the tarp I was like oh he's banking on him like going and maybe checking the toilet and then falling into this thing and snapping his leg and then running upstairs yeah that's what i thought he was going to do i was waiting for that to happen the whole fucking time yeah. but it never did and then eventually at the end it, it became his like big home alone trap that he had put together yeah so i, I didn't feel like the grate was like a or the like the little metal bit from the uh the ceiling was terribly necessary um and i i, I really do wish that there was just more of him like Interacting with the what, what the, the Mission Impossible aspect of this that I was hoping for, and we didn't really get a whole lot of. We got a little bit of. I wish they had just leaned more into it, and it had been like they could have they could have done this as like a like a sort of dark comedy almost, where it's like oh, this guy's gonna murder this kid, and he gets to hang out with some ghosts, and they all like plan ways to like reverse Home Alone this bitch yeah. and get the fuck out, you know? Yeah. Um, and that would have been really fucking fun and cool. <laughs> Probably, like, again, I think your argument of, like, I don't think Blumhouse is, like, the risk taker to do something like that. I think you're right. I think that's very true. <laughs> They're certainly willing to put, like, you know, very low budget into, like, a contemporary horror, basically, and then jam in as many jump scares as they possibly can. I feel bad for the directors who have to do this stuff. I don't think it was a bad movie. I think it was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I would give it, like, a, as far as, like, modern horror movies go, uh, I'd give it, like, a... Six out of ten, something like that. Yeah, I think six, five or six. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, I think I think it gets pushed over into six for me because I do think the acting was really good. I think the acting was really good. I think it it tried to be a little. It did try to be a little bit of a different thing. Yeah. So I, I did. 
appreciate that aspect of it. You know? They talked about stuff that we like think is interesting, and that's a good, that's, good choice. And it, but the, the, really, it wasn't scary. That yeah. was the other thing. Yeah. Is that really this is not really a horror movie? Yeah. yeah. I think that's why like leaning into the the dark comedy aspect would have been the way of it, you know. Yeah. And there's so many parts of the movie that are that like lighthearted, fun, like um, romp through like 1970s culture yeah. and, and things like that. And the and you know the little girl cursing at Jesus and whatnot is pretty fun. That was one of my favorite parts. Yeah, probably uh, one of the better the, parts. Of the her, movie. her conversations with God, because uh, especially like what she was saying, reminds me of like it reminded me of like how I used to talk with God. Whenever I was growing up, and I wasn't like entirely convinced he was real, but like I knew what he was supposed to, like I knew what he was supposed to be doing, you know. I I think that is a very realistic portrayal of how a young person speaks with uh, with God if they're not like. uh, Yeah, I was like, all right, I know, I know what you're up to up there, man. If you're up there, (laughs) if they're skeptical in any way, and I think that girl was. Uh, any 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 person who goes through trauma is typically a little more skeptical than like someone who doesn't yeah. really. And so I think that she was skeptical, and that's why she sort of like uh, talked that way and like try to bargain with God. Yeah, would, would say things like, "I don't know how the rules work; they don't make sense to me." And it's like, "Yeah, you're you're right. There's a lot of contradictions here." <laughs> it doesn't. It's not well, exactly like, clear. <laughs> it's like a, I know you can't interfere or something because of some reason whatever but <laughs> also you definitely do yeah. but also uh, help them out <laughs> you give me these visions and that's yeah. kind of interfering isn't it I don't understand <laughs> yeah um, but uh, yeah I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about the movie did you have anything else no that's about it okay well I guess we'll just uh, we'll call it here and uh, you know it's it 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 good having you man yeah thank you